accountants. It's time to make it count. My name is Freddie Bennett, former accounting industry executive turned entrepreneur, business owner, change maker, and Guinness world record holder. In each episode, we bring you the powerhouses from across the accounting world to help you discover how to unlock endless possibilities, turbocharge your accounting practice, and make it count in business and in life. Thank you for showing up for yourself today. Now, let's dive into another unmissable episode of Make It Count. Welcome to another episode of Make It Count. And today, folks, we have got a real treat for you. Exciting times because Make It Count is now officially the fastest growing podcast across the accounting and advisory world. And today we have that treat no less. I am delighted to welcome to Make It Count a true gentleman of the accounting business. Phil Sayers is the founder of Pro10 Sales Development and UK Sales Director for The Gap. I am so excited about this conversation. Phil, welcome to Make It Count. Thank you so much, Freddie. I don't think I've ever had such a positive and excited introduction. So thank you. Well, there we go. We uh, we, we started with mean to go on. We uh, when, when we talk about positive and exciting, that's always the direction we go with our uh, with our Make It Count guests. But Phil, to get us started, for, for anyone uh, that isn't aware of yourself, obviously I'm very, very excited because we're representing the UK again today, um, despite us being 12,000 miles apart at the moment. But for anyone on either side of the world that hasn't heard about you or what you do, tell us a bit about yourself. Okay, so um, I always say that it's probably not the best way to introduce yourself to a group of accountants, but I am fundamentally a salesman. <laughs> And I've been selling for very, very nearly 40 years now. I am I'm truly that old. Um, but during the course of my career, I've spent quite a few years working in and around the accounting industry and obviously a lot of time within the sort of technology space. And so around five years ago, I set up Proton Sales Development with the original aim of providing training uh, or sales training programs for the accountants community. Mm. Because I was very aware, having worked with many over the years, that whilst they spend many years training from a technical perspective to become qualified accountants, very little of that time is focused on the soft skills and how to engage with clients. And I thought there was potentially a space for, for somebody to help in that area. Mm. So that was five years ago. And within, within about a month or so of starting the business, I got introduced to The Gap as a product. Mm. And I explored it. And I could see the, the huge value to the accounting community. Uh, and then, to cut a very long story short, had conversations with Mark Jenkins and then we agreed that I would, um, sort of alongside my own business, then look after the sales activities for the Gap in the UK. And I've been doing that for nearly five years now. And for me, the, the two things sit really nicely side by side. Um, so nowadays, I train accountants in sales skills. I coach a number of accountants. I also train and coach other, other non-accounting businesses as well. Um, and I sell the Gap to UK accountants, and I also use the Gap as the fundamental platform behind all of my own coaching work. So there's a really nice sort of synergy between the two, and there's no conflict of interest whatsoever, and, and quite often one will generate sort of opportunities and leads for the other. 
Amazing. Thank you, Phil. And we're going to go on a, on a deep dive on the sales aspect of it, because as we know uh, here on Make It Count, the sales journey for accountants, it can be quite a perilous adventure filled with fear, nervousness, lack of confidence, self-doubt, and all those wonderful positive things that, um, that we will navigate, not to worry. I'd like to look at your early career as well, Phil. When you were when you were starting off in the accounting world, in your own experience, did you face these struggles with sales? Were you just a, a natural salesman? Was you know was your accounting practice like a seed of, of Wolf of Wall Street? Obviously, from a sales aspect, not from the uh, the extracurricular side of things. But what was was selling natural for you or not? Absolutely not. I mean, the links with the accounting industry didn't come for probably about 15 years. Mm. My early career, I actually started off in marketing. Nice. My first 18 months after graduating from university were in marketing. And then I very quickly discovered that I found it a little bit too sort of grey and fuzzy. I couldn't, I couldn't see the results of mm. what I was doing. So I couldn't personally see how I was making a real contribution to the business I was working for. And that's the point that I switched into sales. And I have to say, in the very early days, I was full of fear and trepidation, mm. really, really nervous. I remember being sent on my very first sales training course, and I stood in the car park outside thinking, do I really want to go into this thing? <laughs> um, but did, thankfully. Mm. Um, and that was that was the start of the journey. So um, I think what I found was that my preconceptions of what it means to be a good salesman were completely wrong. Mm. And that I think is very common. So I had this vision in my head that salespeople had to have the gift of the gap. They had to be incredibly confident and positive and almost be able to sort of push people into making decisions in their favor. And of course, you and I both know that that's completely the antithesis mm. of what's required. <laughs> and so much about selling is more about actually demonstrating and feeling genuine empathy and really understanding what's important to your, your customers and your prospects Definitely. and then helping them solve problems that they're facing. And it took, took me a little, while, a little while to get to, to grips with that. But once I did, I then thoroughly enjoyed it. And for me, the thing in those days, bearing in mind this is pre-internet days, mm. pre-email days, <laughs> all sales activity was face-to-face -face or over the phone. So I was the you know, stereotypical traveling sales rep mm. out in my, in the very early stages, my Ford Cortina, uh, <laughs> driving around the UK, doing probably six or seven appointments a day. But I love that face-to-face -face interaction with people. I loved learning about people's businesses, what was working for them, what wasn't working. I was just naturally inquisitive, if not a little nosy, I guess. Um, and and that's, that's really where I got the buzz from. And I, I, I love that. And, and what I love is, is the fact that you took action. As they say, you have this moment in the car park when you're about to, to step into this whole new world, this scary world. And then we go from there onto traveling around the UK in your car, make it, making it happen with different prospects and, and customers and clients. And I suppose to, to set the scene of this question, my personal theory that I will tell to anyone who cares to listen, which is good since I run a podcast, is that we, we can all have too much knowledge. And I will always say that we can teach someone about sales in a classroom, but there is no better teacher than, than being involved in a hundred sales meetings, than making a hundred phone calls, than having a hundred conversations, because that real world experience. And and you say with yourself, with your journey, you were having these multiple conversations every day. And did you find that that was moving the needle for you? Did you go from, as I say, 
amateur to, to expert through through that real world practice as such. Absolutely. I think there is another element to it as well. But no, the, uh, one of the conversations I always have with my, my clients who are getting involved with training is to, is to ask them the question, how are you going to make sure that what you're your teams learn on this program is then going to get put into practice and then developed and built into their own approach, their own methodology. Mm. Because and that that's really where the coaching piece comes in. So either the team leader needs to be in a position to be able to reinforce that learning and make sure it gets adapted and implemented, or you need somebody externally who's going to help you through that process. Mm. If all a business does is train their people and then does nothing else, the likelihood is they might have a sort of 20% impact on results. Mm. If they do training and then reinforce that with ongoing coaching and mentoring, then the results will exponentially improve. So it's so, so important. And for me, I think being naturally inquisitive, one of the things I, I became quite adept at would be for example, I'd go on a training course and I think I can put these things into practice. And then I'd go and do three, four, five sales calls, sales meetings, and then sit down at the end of the day and say, well, okay, what happened? <laughs> How well was I able to put into practice what I intended? Mm. Did the conversation go in the direction I wanted it to? Did I manage to control it effectively? If it didn't work, what could I have done better? Mm. And that, again, is part of part of the process of adapting the things that you learn during training programs um, to adapt them in, in a way that works for you. The other thing I would also add to that is I'm also a huge proponent of trying to avoid scripting salespeople too much. Mm. Because if you tell them, you know, here is the script you've got to deliver when you're on a phone call or face-to-face, if you're on the receiving end of that, you can tell. Mm. You know, it, it doesn't sound. We've all weird. had the phone call, haven't so, we? Hello, how, hello, yeah. Freddie. Or I, I get the hello, Frankie. I really care about you. How are you today? And I'm like, come on, dude. <laughs> at least try. Exactly. At least, at least lie to me a bit when you try to sell me something. But you're right. You're, you're totally exactly. anything that feels or sounds robotic or awkward or sleazy or persuasive to the person delivering it is obviously going to feel like that to to the client as well. It does. And, and I think the more you can, you know, there's nothing wrong with having a script as your basis, but then adapt it. Use your words, your mannerisms, your phraseology. So it becomes your own mm. and, and adapt it over time. So a lot of the the, um, the coaching work I do with, with some of my younger clients is to say, look, here's the basic framework that you can use. And we'll, we'll go through the process of developing you know, three or four elevator pitches for them. But then say, no, try it. See what feels comfortable for you. See what works when you're talking to your potential customers. Try changing the wording or try changing the approach slightly and, and see what happens. Because, you know, there is no one-size-fits-all approach to selling. It is very much down to the individual to adapt and develop their own unique style that works for them and works for their, for their customers. I totally agree, Phil, and, and, and 100% on everything around scripts. And I have to pick up on, on something you said there around the younger clients and, and the younger firms. And um, obviously, you know, we, there's no HR rules here. We can say what we want. It's my podcast. Um, but I, I have to ask, around, is that something you see in the industry? Uh, now I am going to try and say it in a political way. Uh, you know, we have uh, slightly more experienced accountants, should we say, and we have slightly less experienced accountants. Do you find that either generationally, either potentially in, is in the size of the practice, in the experience, uh, in the in the different type of accountants we have, 
Do you see differences in how people approach sales or struggle with sales, or is it all a whole you know, smorgasbord of, of, of different abilities across the board? Um, I, I hate to pigeonhole people, but I think that's probably what I'm about to do. But no, because I think there is a <laughs> fundamental difference, mm. and I think I think part of it is generational. Mm. Part of it is in terms of the individual psychology and personality of the accountancy question. Um, with the older ones, I, I see two, two distinct groups. Those that who have developed their own style, they may not think of it as a sales style, but it is that is effectively what it is. And they've developed their own style of talking to their clients mm. and understanding where their clients might need help and then providing whatever solution is required. The other category, I think, really uh, within the older age group, I think really struggle with the whole idea of selling because for them it's selling is I've got to tell the client what to do. Mm. I have one particular accountant or a coach who I love dearly, but I do find him quite frustrated at times <laughs> in that he has a razor-sharp mind mm. and he can look at a set of accounts and he can talk to one of his clients and he can instantly see that there are three problems that need fixing and he immediately jumps to the solution. Mm. And what he wants to do is to tell the client what they need to do and then he doesn't. He finds it very frustrating when the client doesn't engage with the conversation. Mm. The client doesn't buy into it because they think they're being bullied and pushed into a corner. And that's where it's the lack of the soft skills and the, um, to an extent, a lack of empathy is, is holding them back. With the younger generation, I think there are similar elements, but the big, big difference I see is a huge predominance of people who are really nervous about having face-to-face conversations or picking up the phone. And I suspect, and maybe this is you know the old gifty me talking, <laughs> but I suspect it's a function of having grown up with technology, mm. of living life online through text messaging and email. So that whereas in my younger days, the only way to communicate with my friends if I wasn't seeing them was to pick up a phone and call them. Yeah. Nowadays, youngsters tend not to make many phone calls, mm. and yet. That individual face-to-face or voice-to-voice interaction is so, so important in the whole sales process. And I do think uh, a lot of youngsters struggle with that and they're missing the trick as well. But those that do grasp the metal and then and overcome their initial fears and start talking to clients on a one-to-one basis, they're the ones who will make the big difference. Exactly. And I totally agree, Phil. And it's... Um... It reminds me of a couple of things. We firstly, it is uh, to pick up on something you mentioned. It's something that I call the uh, the advisory paradox. In that, all of us, but in this case, clients, everyone wants to be told what to do, but nobody actually likes being told what to do because we all like to be guided, and we all want the five step process, and we all want just we want it to be easy for us because we love it. You know, we're lazy. We love it if life is easy. Then when people actually start telling us, okay, do this, then do that, we get the whole, what? You can't tell me what to do. I'm not going to do that, and which makes it very difficult from from a sales perspective. And That's where the sales skills come in. Definitely. Because if I'm talking to a client and I'm telling them what to do, if they haven't bought into the reasons why doing Mm. that, taking that action is going to help them, where the real value to them is, Mm. they're going to be resistant. Whereas if we've had a conversation and I've helped them come to their own conclusion Mm. that there are these two or three things that they really ought to do and they can see how it's going to benefit them, Mm. I don't need to tell them what to do. They'll have made that decision themselves. Mm. And for me, that is the real value of sales skills. It's helping them come to their own realisation that they need to take action and what that action is. 100%. 100%. It is, and I, I am going to try to remember this quote first time around. 
It is the ability to ask questions to help a client see what they already know but fail to acknowledge. It's shining a light on, on the things that a client maybe doesn't want to want to understand or acknowledge, and it's helping them to come to their own conclusions through through questioning, and as you say, through that natural curiosity. I'm reminded of the old doctor uh, experience as well, and I always say that it's very similar. Yeah, doctors are, are help people get better, accountants help businesses get better. But we see it so many times, you go to see a doctor, and the doctor's like, Stop drinking, stop, at least this would be in my 20s, stop drinking, stop smoking, stop drinking. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, and I don't follow the advice. And then when you have a health scare, that's when you go to the doctor and you say, I want to stop drinking, I want to stop smoking, help me, I'll do it. Because they have to, you have to reach that, that tipping point. And I think part of our questions is helping clients to understand the real, the real severity and the consequences if they don't take the, uh, the accounting doctor's orders. It, it is, I mean, and I think one of the most powerful questions any person in a sales role can ask of their clients is, so what? Mm. So if we're talking to a client about, you know, we can see that there are two or three things that they really need to fix. If the client doesn't buy into that, you know, ask yourself the question, so what if they don't fix it? What's mm. going to be the impact? And simple example You've got a client who's got a problem with debtors. They don't see it. They just think they haven't got enough cash in the bank. Mm. But if you can show them what the impact is going to be of making some changes and perhaps it's going to add an extra sort of £100,000, $100,000 into their bank account, that in itself is a positive outcome. But ask yourself the question, so what? So what if I've got £100,000 more in the bank? What are you going to do with that? What does that mean to you? Mm. Does that mean you can pay yourself more? Does it mean you could boost your pension? Does it mean you could hire another person so that you don't have to work weekends anymore? Mm. Okay, and then you can keep going. You can ask yourself the question, so what beyond that? So, okay, you're going to hire another person, so what? It means you can you don't need to work weekends, so what? Well, it means now you can spend time with your family. So what? Well, it means you can start to rebuild that relationship that was creaking at the edges because you've been working seven days a week for the last five years. And you can take this to ridiculous levels. But the important thing is if you keep asking yourself that question, so what, and asking the client the so what question, you will ultimately build up the real value that your services are ultimately delivering to the client. So rather than the client thinking, I'm just trying to sell you some, you know, a business plan and a mm. cash flow forecast what you're actually selling to them is their free weekends, you know, their extra salary, their bigger pension pot, because they're going to value that far more than they value just seeing a bigger number in the bank account. I see that so much, uh, Phil. I absolutely agree. And you know, obviously, as, as people know, I help accountants on this side of the planet with, uh, with their sales skills and their communication and mindset as well. Um, but so many times I see it that the accountants are focused on selling features and services and benefits. And as you say, it, they, they go into a conversation like, right, how do we sell cash flow forecasting? How do we sell succession planning? How do we sell quarterly business coaching? When really it's about selling an outcome. It's, uh, it's about helping a client get that particular outcome. It's like, like an airline. They don't sell the plane ride. They sell the holiday destination at the end of it. It's the same kind of thing. But so often it's it's only through questions. And as you, I love that question of, of so what? You can't persuade someone if you're asking so what? You can't convince them. You can't feel like some slimy used car salesperson. You're just purely asking the questions to help them come to their own conclusions and really get them to understand 
the importance and the opportunity that, that's there in front of them. And, and I think that's so important because if I, you know, if I go back to my very early sales training, and uh, you know, we talked, we used to talk about features and benefits of products and services, mm. and, and that that's all well and good, but the benefits to a particular customer will be unique to them. Mm. To one person, the value of that could be that they can pay themselves and their staff this month. To another client, it may be that they can employ another another member of staff and reduce their working hours. To another client, the benefit may be that they can afford to buy a new piece of equipment that's going to make them far more efficient operationally. The value to any given client will be unique to them. So don't think that there is going to be a one-to-one relationship between the service that you provide and the value that each client is going to derive from it. And that's why questioning becomes so important and that's why that question so what becomes so so critical and that applies to everything i I totally agree and whether Mm -hmm. that is uh advisory services whether that is a a holiday clothing a car you know that you may go and see a ferrari at a ferrari showroom you could want to buy the ferrari because you've always loved ferraris and it gets you from a to b uh in style and comfort I could want to buy a Ferrari because I am incredibly narcissistic and egotistical. Um, and it's just the same car, same purchase, but but just two very different reasons. And go a bit deeper on that because I also think I'd love to know if, if you feel the same. Sometimes we, we put clients all in one bucket and we look at it black and white. I'm the accountant or the advisor. They are the client. The accountant sells to the client or tries to sell to the client. But there's a whole spectrum of clients and clients, as we know, are usually in different places on a spectrum as well sometimes. Um, but, but we have different clients, different businesses, different stages of their life, different histories, demographics, psychographic backgrounds, all these different things. And we have to we can use the right tried and tested approaches and structures and materials and, and platforms like the gap. But but every everyone wants something different in their lives. And it's about almost trying to trying to pick that that lock or that safe into their minds to work out what it is. It, it is. I mean, I mean this this one covers any any great surprise to the majority of your listeners, I suspect. But you know, when for an accountant talking to a client, one of the most important things they should be doing in the really early stages of building the relationship is understanding what's important to the client. Mm. But that's not just within the business environment. It's what's important to them in their personal life as well. Because for many of the clients that an accountant will be working with, particularly those that are sort of owner-managed businesses, if you're really cynical about it, I would would argue that the business is simply a means to an end. Mm. All the business is, is helping the client, the owner, achieve something, whether that's earnings, whether it's, leaving a legacy for their family, whether it's building some sort of business empire, whether it's trying to get a better work-life balance. But if you understand what is uniquely important to that individual client, then everything that you do to support them has a direction. Mm. I get really, really frustrated when I see uh, sort of social media posts that seem to suggest that if you're going to start a, you know, for a youngster starting a technology business nowadays, then the route to success is, you know, uh, building your your MVP product, your initial product, going to get £10 billion of of VC funding, Mm. and over the next five years, build your revenues up to £100 and then sell and make yourself a fortune. Easy. Fine, if that's what you want. But the vast majority of business owners 
can't do that, don't want to do that, I'm not interested in that level of involvement or stress. Mm. The vast majority of business owners want to get some sort of balance in their life where they're not working all the hours under the sun. They want a, a nice, comfortable lifestyle and they're prepared to compromise in certain areas. But unless you understand as the accountant what those important factors are to your client, then the risk is you give them the wrong advice, that you're guiding them pushing them, coaching them in a completely alien direction to where they really, really want to go. It's a great point. And I often talk about these things as, as conscious and unconscious ceilings. So we all have these these conscious ceilings, as you say, that I I don't ever want a billion dollar company. I, know, I don't want to have a have a tech company with 500 people working for me. We all have these, these conscious ceilings that we put upon ourselves. And, and then where it gets interesting from a accountant's point of view as i say because we all have these conscious and unconscious ceilings the unconscious ceilings are more of the stories that we tell ourselves like i'm an accountant i can never be good at sales i'm an introvert i can never be good at sales all these these messages and uh, this directs me to to the next part of, of, of my questions for you around mindset and confidence how big a role do you think they play in the overall sales process, but also in the ability of, of, of an accountant to be able to sell? Absolutely crucial. Mm. <laughs> Not least because one of, the, one of the biggest pieces of advice I've given to people considering going into a career in sales over the years is that you've got to have the ability to accept and live with rejection. Mm. You're going to get it. It doesn't matter how good you are at selling. It doesn't matter how good your product or service is. Not everybody is going to say yes. And so if you're in a pure sales role, you need to be able to accept that, Get pick yourself up, dust yourself down, and then start moving on to, to the next prospect, the next customer. If you can't do that, you will find a career in sales incredibly stressful and you really, really won't, won't make a success of it. So the fundamentally, you've got to have that mindset that says, okay, somebody said no, all right, so what? I'm going to move on to the next one. The other piece of that mindset is you've got to, you've got to remain positive, which I guess is a subset of, of, the, of the first one, but you also need to be naturally inquisitive. Is selling is this stereotypical idea that um, you know the best salespeople have the gift of the gab and, and are good speakers. The reality is most of the best salespeople I've worked with over the year are not necessarily the major extroverts. Some of the best salespeople I've worked with over the years are actually introverts, mm. but they're inquisitive introverts. They love hearing about other people. And it's again, it's a, it's a sales training cliche that you've got two ears and one mouth and you should use them in that proportion. But there's a huge amount of truth in that. So much of selling is exploring what's happening within a customer's environment, within their business, within their personal life, and trying to then identify are the problems that they've got that I could potentially help them fix. Mm. So the mindset about, about, about being cons consistently inquisitive, you've got to have a positivity in there, you've got to have resilience, mm. you've got to be able to keep going, um, but you've also got to enjoy interacting with people. You know, selling is not about... Pitching, yeah, that's one of the other big uh, <laughs> um, misunderstandings I hear is that you know people assume that to be to be good at selling you've got to be able to pitch. No, you haven't <laughs> necessarily. The pitch bit comes right at the end once you've understood what's important to the client, 
what their problems are, how those problems are going to impact them, and therefore what are the things they need to do that we can help them achieve. That's where the pitch comes, not at the beginning. It's interesting. I've told this story many, many times over here, but when I set my business up, I went looking for an accountant, Mm. and it was a fascinating exercise. (laughs) Um, and I did it for two reasons. One is because I wanted an accountant, but B, I also wanted to do it as a bit of market research to see how accountants would respond to a, a new inquiry. And what was really interesting is I went to see, I think it was eight, and six of them did exactly the same thing. So they welcomed me and they offered me a cup of tea or a coffee and sat me down in their meeting room and then spent the next 30 minutes telling me about their qualifications Mm. and the type of clients they work with and the types of services that they offer and a couple of case studies. The two that stood out didn't tell me anything about what they did to start with. They focused on me. Why did I set the business up? What was I looking to achieve? Why did I think there was a space for what I was offering? What did I think, what sort of support did I think I might need from a financial perspective? That's what selling is. It's asking those questions up front. It's a brilliant perspective, and I love it. Yeah, I just uh, I was thinking about about the pitch again. Yeah, life's a pitch, isn't it? Uh, apart from at the start of a meeting, when uh, <laughs> when it obviously isn't. But um, I think you're absolutely right in terms of the way that we that we approach sales. And again, it's uh, I know we've mentioned it a few times, but it's so important to undo that stereotype. And I was minded of. Um, I think it may have been David Sandler, one of the, the, the sales books I've read many, many times over the years. Um, uh, this maybe happened sometimes in, in, in the US in particular, but you've got a very accomplished salesperson and they will, um, dumbing themselves down isn't the right word, but they'll do, you know, they'll, they'll be a bit, uh, a bit bumbling, a bit kind of, they'll, they'll, I've heard stories, they'll, they'll put on a stutter, they'll kind of, they're a bit like Columbo, where they'll kind of be be stumbling through a conversation and they'll say, oh, um, just one more thing. And they'll just ask some amazing, insightful question that, that gets the, the client to totally think differently. And that's the I think that gives hope. It gave hope to me because I I hated sales. I was a massive introvert. It made me literally brought me out in shakes, sweats, stammering, everything else. Um, but that whole you don't have to be smarmy and polished and like something out off wall street or something like that it is that that human curious factor and, and i was also minded the second point a long time ago ironically um someone said to me in a sales conversation just pretend you're interviewing someone maybe pretend you're hosting a podcast and pretend you're interviewing someone for a podcast and i was like oh that could be a good idea and then uh, yeah heaven forbid that i start a podcast who would have thought it but um but i think you're absolutely right phil that that it is all about the the questions that we ask and, and that we uncover the truth well, it's fascinating because within the accounting world you know i said right at the start you know probably not a good way to introduce myself to a group of accountants is saying i'm a salesman because for many of your listeners their perception of a salesman will not be a good <laughs> good image. Mm. Not least because all of us have been on the receiving end of some pretty appalling sales techniques over yeah. the years. I mean, we see you know, the stereotypical used car salesman is mm. one example. You know, double glazing salesman is, is another one in the UK. But also, you know, and I'm, I might annoy some of our fellow software vendors in the accounting space, I would pretty much guarantee that most of your listeners have had a sales call from an accounting software vendor at some point saying, got a great deal for you this quarter. And if you buy another 50 licenses, I'm going to give you sort of 20% off your subscription cost. Mm. You know, well, that's all well and good. 
you know, if the accountant has got magically a list of 50 clients for whom they need, you know, uh, an additional license for, for accounting software, if they haven't, then they're going to be investing up front and then they've got to make a decision, is this actually a commercially viable opportunity for me? But the reality is that the, the software vendor is not trying to help the accountant in that instance. The reality mm. is the software vendor is trying to hit their quarterly numbers. Somebody on high has said, oh, we're a bit short on licensed sales this quarter. Can you go out and get some more? Mm. And for me, that short-termist view that you get, particularly with some uh, public companies, is actually quite damaging in the long run because it puts across a message that says, you know, I'm just going to try and force you into buying something that you perhaps don't actually need. Mm. Sadly, no longer with us, but one of these American sales gurus, some of his stuff I, I really didn't like, but there's some absolute gems in there. And he, he went by the fantastic name of Zig Ziglar. Mm, and he, he, he talks about the idea of stop selling and start helping. Definitely. And for me, you know, if for a lot of accountants, that this whole idea that sales is foreign language, it's something they don't want to get involved with. Reframe it. Mm. Don't think about selling. Just focus on how can I help my clients? What are the problems that they've got that I can help them address? Mm. Because that will result in the sale. One of my uh, one of my old mentors, uh, Steve Chandler, says something very similar. He said, "If you fill your calendar with serving clients all day long, then you'll never worry about revenue ever again. Don't think about selling. Don't think about what's our offer. Don't think about how am I going to pitch this. Just focus on how could I serve these people all day, every day." And the revenue just looks after itself. Um, it's always going. And that, that's been a rule that I've always tried to have in my life. Serve first. Um, just, just help people, serve them. And, and then when, when the time is right, then uh, I say it gets kind of, that's why I tend to get a bit spiritual, which I'll keep it away from from this accounting podcast. But I, I always believe if you give first, um, then, then the universe gives you back in, uh, in spades. But, but it's such a more holistic approach. And also it's, it just feels like the right thing to do, to be honest. Like, just focus. How how can I help these people? How can I can see this person has a problem? I think I can fix it. Why don't we have a conversation about that? And why don't I just start trying to help you? And and then have that as a basis for a conversation rather than the sale. It is, you know, you know, you're absolutely right, Freddie. And I think it's interesting. I, I've had this good conversation a few times with with clients of mine where. I'm not afraid to allow a client or a potential client time to come to their own decision rather than me trying to force them into something. Mm. So, you know, I've got coaching clients who took, in some cases, three years to decide that now is the right time, that actually they needed to do something different and wanted to work with an external mm. coach. And I'm not worried about doing that, A, because... I've built up a sufficient enough pipeline to not have to worry about getting this particular sale in this month. But more importantly, about at the back of my mind is thinking, I want to do what's right for this particular client. They've got to feel 100% comfortable that what they're about to embark on, whether it's a training program, whether it's a coaching program, is right for them and the timing is right for them. So this whole thing about, you're right, just focusing on helping people it will get you to the end point. Now, what you can do on top of that, though, is, is build and enhance your skills to enable you to then shorten that cycle potentially, but still with the client being on board and on side with that reduced time frame. And that's where 
things like learning effective questioning skills, learning objection handling techniques, learning negotiation techniques and learning closing techniques will come into play. Mm. It's not not as a means of trying to make you the sort of stereotypical pushy salesperson, but it will help you move the conversation along and potentially shorten the time frame between starting the conversation and getting to the point where your client or your prospect now feels comfortable that A, there are things they now recognize they need to do, and B, you're the person who can help them put that into place and get the results that they want. Absolutely. I love the way you describe that, Phil. And I, I always think the um, the whole accountant client sales relationship is um, it, for any sales relationship is is very similar. Uh, the approach, at least very similar to, to any kind of romantic relationship. And this isn't a podcast about my love life, because that's a whole different story. Um, but it's the same thing. And we've all been in that position where um, if someone's like, Will you go out with me? Will you go out with me? Will you go out with me? You just like, <laughs> leave me alone, you pest. And uh, yeah, that's kind of like sums up my twenties, really. Um, but um, but yeah, that's that whole like, just leave me alone, stop pressuring me, stop trying to push me into something. Like we always, we, you get the ick. Um, it's much better, like all these things, just to take a more natural, more polite approach, and uh, and just let things play out if and when they uh, they will. It's a great analogy, actually, and. and takes me back to some personal experiences <laughs> as well. But if you think about, even, you know, even think about those of your listeners who have either encountered or are currently using things like online dating apps, mm. you know, if if you look at a profile and think this this person looks like somebody I'd, I'd like to get to know, and, and all you do is, you know, send them a message, say, would you like to go for a drink? You're not necessarily going to get some interaction, but if you take the time to read what they put in their profile, and maybe you know they've got a, they've got a pet dog and they like running, mm. you know, and maybe so your first first interaction with them would be to, to ask about you know what sort of dog have they got, and you know are they are they a serious runner or are they are they they're just somebody who does it as a way of keeping fit, and then show how perhaps. You know, you like dogs or you like running or perhaps your interest is something different. It's a much more gentle interaction, but it's showing interest in the other party. And you're right, you know, dating in that sense is no different to, to selling to, to a client. If you demonstrate that you are genuinely interested in them, their business, their, their lifestyle, what's important to them, it helps build that sort of mutual bond that will that will underpin the relationship going forward. This is great, by the way, Philip. Screw the podcast. I'm writing down these dating tips because I'm going to need them pretty soon. So, um, so thank you for that, Casanova Sayers. Here, that's the podcast title now, isn't it, Mister Casanova? But just on that, just to, to totally um, to destroy that metaphor, it's the same again on, on the dating apps or even when you're messaging someone. If you're always messaging, hi again, me again, just checking in, just following up. Hello, it's been a few weeks, which is what accountants often do with their clients when the client said, let me think about it, and they let them get away with that. And then they just follow up and check in and the phone call and a message and a message. Same with dating. The other person's going to be like, leave me alone. If I want to talk to you, then then it's going to happen. Um, but, but again, we fall into these traditional roles because we think sales has to be about the follow-up and, and things like that. And and yes, it is, but it has to be done in the right way. And I know that's how you guide your clients as well in terms of how to do all these things the right way and also unlearn so many of the of the of the, of the bad habits, of the stereotypes, of the lessons that we pick up from our TV and, and childhood and, and everything else. 
It's, it's, it's interesting because I know you and I have had this conversation before, but um, if you're in a sales type role or some role that, that is where you're required to deliver you know, increased revenue, it can be incredibly frustrating if you're reaching out to a prospect and you can't get them to respond. And the natural assumption quite often is they're being rude. Mm. They're deliberately ignoring me. Why won't they answer my emails? Why won't they take my phone calls? You know, they might be being rude, but in all likelihood, there's probably something else going on. And it will be something as blindingly obvious as they've got another crisis that they're focused on or whatever you're offering, they don't perceive it to be important enough for them right now. And all you can do is work with whatever interaction, how much or how little that is. And if you're getting nothing back from them at all, I have the, what I call my last attempt email, which is a really sort of subtle way of saying to, to people, look, I've tried contacting you a few times. I appreciate you're busy. I don't want to pester you. So, you know, I'm going to leave it with you for now, um, but I'll, by the way, I'll contact you in a few months' time. But, of course, if you want to talk, you know, please get in touch. What's really interesting about that sort of approach, which is really quite subtle, but it's fascinating how many responses it, it triggers from people who've never replied at all. And equally, almost every one of the responses that I get to that approach starts with an apology. Mm. I'm, I'm really sorry for not having got back to you. I mean, it, you can use that, not in a cynical way, but it just helps to build that sort of empathy, build the relationship again. It's easy to fall into the trap of assuming that you know what's going on with your, with your client's world. Don't. You're never going to know. Unless they tell you, you're never going to know the, the real insight. So, so just, just be there. Be a, a constant presence for them, Who somebody who isn't pestering them, but somebody they know is available to talk as and when they're ready to. It's such a powerful rule for sales and for life that I think, Phil, in terms of not being needy. And it is usually only when you stop searching that you actually find that thing that you are seeking. It's the, the, like the stereotypical uh, when, when I'm running around the house trying to find my wallet. I'm so busy trying to get it because I'm, oh, I need my wallet. I need this thing. I need this result. I can't see that it's right in front of me. Same with the relationships. People say, oh, I'll never find love. I want to find love. I want to find love. And it's only when they stop searching for love that they find love. This is getting into a dating show, isn't it? But it's the same with, uh, with, uh, <laughs> with, with, with clients, obviously, as well. When we stop pushing, when we stop being needy, when we stop attaching our own identity and ego to that sales result, that is when we can actually let go. And when we let go of the outcome, when we let go of the need for the outcome, that's what I believe, that we, we can do our best work and help and serve our clients better. Absolutely. You know, we, we said all along, nobody likes a pushy salesperson. No. We've all been on the receiving end of that. So avoid avoid that style like the plague. Focus on, on helping your clients. Focus on helping your clients acknowledge where they need help. Mm. I always say that there's a fundamental difference between what your clients know that they want and what they need. Mm. And our job as accountants or salespeople is to help them understand where there are other things that they need that they perhaps haven't thought about in the past. That's not a criticism of them. It's simply that nobody's ever asked them the right questions. So our job as salespeople or our job as, as, as accountants is to ask the right sort of questions to help the client uncover and acknowledge where there are issues that they need to fix and that they understand what the value of the outcome is going to be if they fix those issues. 
the sale will follow naturally, as you said earlier on from that, Freddie. Perfect. I love that, Phil. And we're unfortunately coming to near to the end of this, this episode. Now, I have one uh, quick fire question for you um, before we, we wrap things up. And use your imagination with this one. Let's say a uh, an accountant's listening to this podcast right now. They've got a client sales meeting in half an hour's time. They're feeling nervous. All the things that we've talked about so far, not a natural salesperson, feel a bit awkward, feel a bit slimy. If you could give them one piece of advice before they're literally about to step into that client sales meeting in a few minutes time, what would you say to them? The the key to any client sales meeting is getting the client to open up. Mm. So there are some really simple questions. And the most obvious one would be to kick off the conversation after having said hello and, and how are you is to say, if you could make one fundamental change to how your business is running today, what would it be? I have no idea where that's going to go, <laughs> but it will kick off a conversation and whatever they respond with, it will give you a really, really strong clue as to one of the problems that they already realize exists within the business and they need to do something about I'd love that, Phil. And also, I love the fact that you were totally put on the spot and you were just like, bang, there you go. <laughs> you know what? We, we call this a podcast. We should have called this like a sales trading masterclass. We should be charging people for this, Phil. Ooh. There's uh, there's already the, the the offer for me in my mind now. We're going to do a series of these podcasts and we're going to call it um, Make It Count VIP. And uh, yes, if anyone's listening... Uh, for $99, you can get more of me as field sales expertise. <laughs> but obviously, <laughs> as always, Make It Count will always be free to all of the accountants around the world. Um, but Phil, I have truly, truly loved this conversation and learned a lot as well. But before we wrap up, we obviously have the tradition here on Make It Count, which is the final secret question where a previous guest gets to ask a secret question for the current guest, which is you. So, Phil, I have my secret question for you now. Um, this sounds ominous. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I don't know what this is either. So I am, I was going to say I'm flicked through my notebook, but it's actually my emails. Um, so for the secret question, oh, interesting one. If you met with a 17-year-old that had no idea what to do with their life, what would your advice be? Wow. We'd like to go deep with that final question, obviously. Yeah, no, okay. Now, no, no off-the-cuff answers for this one. Um, what would I say to them? I think, and you have to predicate this on the basis that they're able to do this, uh, but I would say focus on living and working out what makes you happy. Mm. I go back to the point I made really early on, you know, that this point that for most business owners, ultimately the business is just a means to an end. It's a means to help them give them a lifestyle or give them the earnings they want. When you're 17, you don't know what to do. If you can try and work out what it is that makes you happy and then engineer your life and your working life around delivering those things to you, you're not going to go far wrong. Of course, you need to look after the finances. You need to be able to feed yourself and clothe yourself. But if you understand what genuinely makes you happy and you can engineer your life towards that goal, then it's going to be a, a much, much better experience. I love that, Phil. What a wise and insightful answer. And I love it so much. I need to review some of my life choices. But again, that is one for another <laughs> podcast episode. Phil, I've, I say, I've absolutely loved this episode and I've learned so much as well. And I know our listeners have. 
if anyone wants to, to to reach out to you to get in touch to find out more about what you do how do people find you okay uh well the, i guess the obvious one is on linkedin so I'm, I'm quite active on linkedin so my my name is just phil sayers s-a-y-e-r-s on linkedin um, my website is pro 10 sd p-r-o-t-e-n-s-d .co.uk and on there you'll find details of the, the sort of training programs I offer the coaching programs I offer um, and you'll also find contact uh, email addresses on there as well uh, but if anybody does want to email me directly just fill with one L fill at pro10sd.co.uk and I'm always happy to talk Perfect. And I'm sure you will have uh, lots of inquiries, Phil, because as I have, I'm a huge fan of, of your work, of your expertise. I'm always in awe of, uh, of your sales and accounting talents. And it's been wonderful to have you here on the show. We'd love to have you back for part two in the future. I think we can have about 10 different parts with, uh, with sales techniques on here. But, um, but for now, thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for being part of Make It Count. My pleasure, Freddie. Looking forward to the dating app episode. Yes, exactly. That's the spin-off series, though. Perfect. Thank you, Phil. Thank you so much for listening. I hope today's episode informed, educated, motivated and inspired you to make it count for your clients and your business. Make sure you check out the show notes of this episode for the all important links. Please hit subscribe, share it with the world, and don't forget to give us a five-star review. We love getting feedback on this show, and I'd love to hear which part resonated with you the most. Remember, you have got the skills, talent, expertise, and experience to make a huge difference in the lives and businesses of your clients. The days of the bean counter are over. It's time to make it count. I'll see you on the other side. <laughs>